0: You are now entering the MXU podcast, no credentials required. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 26 of the MXU podcast with my friends, Jeff Sandstrom and the famous Corey Edwards. How you guys doing? I'm good.
1: How are you? I'm doing well. Great. Good. We're really glad to have Corey with us today. Uh, this is his first appearance uh, on the podcast, but I just know that he's got a lot to share that will be super helpful to you who are regular listeners. You probably know who Corey is um, just by reputation and the social medias and his overwhelmingly handsome photogenic qualities that he puts on Instagram. <laughs> every, time I, every time I pull up one of your posts, my wife goes, ooh, is that Corey? I'm like, I'm not <laughs> sure how I feel about that, babe. Oh, that's funny.
0: Uh, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And behind you, on your wall right now, there's a dead animal. It's a fake dead animal, but oh, it's a piece of wood, unfortunately. Well, it made me happy. Not that killing animals is what makes me happy, but it is.
2: It's the closest it, thing my wife will let me hang on the wall.
0: If you eat them, it is. So we're just going to talk about barbecuing meat this whole episode, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> but,
2: I went to Costco yesterday. Stocked up.
0: Hey, no, so done. did I. I'm I'm smoking ribs today.
1: I have ribs and pork loin ready. That's awesome. That's so good. Well, I was going to do a smoked turkey for Thanksgiving, and we ended up frying it instead, and it was most excellent and delicious. But the smoking thing is definitely, I mean, it's, it's gotten turned way up at my house. I've done brisket several times and ribs and pork. I just love it. You just don't take pictures of it and put it all over Instagram like Corey and I. <laughs> No, I eat it. Well, and the, and I, I also don't use a fake smoker. I use real wood okay. and fire. And, Hold on. Yeah. Slow down there, buddy. My smoker doesn't have an app.
2: Well, mine mine now does. I just upgraded.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Okay, so, so Corey.
1: Yeah, we're not here to start a trigger war. We're here to talk about audio. Yeah.
0: Okay, Corey, you just finished the tour. You mix front of house and production manage Elevation Worship. That's your normal gig? Yes. Um, You also have church background, grew up in Las Vegas. You and I have known each other, I think, like eight or nine years. Eight, yeah.
2: I've known Jeff. I was thinking about this today. I've known Jeff a little longer, actually.
1: What? Yeah, so I was trying to think last night when I was getting ready for today. I was trying to think about the first time we met, and it's been, I think, at least 10 years.
2: Yes. It was, I know for exactly when it was, it was in 2009 on the Tomlin tour. You guys came through. And I was 15.
1: Crazy. Yeah. You were my hero. Oh, gosh. You still are. Well, thanks. A lot of miles under the bus since then. Was that in Vegas or was that at Willow? That was in Vegas at Canyon Ridge. Okay. Gosh. That was the Hello Love tour, right? Yep. With Israel and New Breed and Tomlin? Yep. Man, that was a long time ago.
0: That's when you guys had that next OPA?
1: Yep. That's awesome. NexopA and a PM five D console.
0: Okay, I was looking on
1: eBay today because I saw uh
0: Toby posted he bought a PM five thousand on eBay for eight hundred bucks.
1: That's amazing. Yeah,
0: isn't that crazy? So I'm like, what what are the kind of old consoles are on there? And there's a PM five D on eBay for fifteen hundred bucks. There's a one D for fifteen hundred bucks.
1: Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah,
0: but XL fours are still like twenty grand. Those are the ones we want
1: Yeah, exactly I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody But be on the lookout over the next year For some extra special content coming from us Regarding an old console And that's all I'm going to say about that
0: Whoa I don't know what you just did there
1: I may have let a cat out of the bag (laughs) I'm not
0: sure Awesome Um, So, Corey, you just wrapped up The Elevation Hillsong Casting Crowns Tour Yes,
2: we spent four weeks out doing that, Um, and that one was very unique for me. I was production managing and mixing for Elevation, but the tour asked me to production manage the the whole thing. So it was kind of double dipping, and um, it was quite a learning to balance the two. Uh,
0: So that's a big job. Usually, like an arena show, the production manager is just production managing. Yeah. But you also had to mix one of the bands
2: yep and take care of the them with their show and their set um yeah. which, which turned out awesome. I was really happy with it
0: so so you're up at six a m every day and not back in the bus till one or two, yeah on a good day. We and were then, usually done by one um and then we showered and got back on the bus. so how did you manage like did you even think about mixing during the day or is it just yes. okay oh yeah, yeah, and I gotta go mix.
2: Yeah, no, we made it quite a point to so that in the afternoon I could step away and and focus on elevation and their music and mixing and um I ended up, you know, I still got a chance every day to listen to the PA and do some virtual sound check which was super helpful.
1: So this is a tour though that is it's kind of billed as a sort of three-way co-headliner tour because you've got specific fans who are there to see their favorite band but you've got three bands that are pretty different personalities yeah. and um a couple distinct styles musically too so um you know not to tell too many stories but how did you manage all the personalities and all the you know everybody's vying for their sort of piece of the day and you know and and you're trying not to have a one-sided interest in your artist trying to serve everybody, but you do have a job to do to serve your artist so yeah there's a lot to manage there. Talk about that for a minute
2: yeah it was um, it was definitely a new experience um, having Hillsong and Crowns um, co-headlining and then elevation was opening but they were still quite a big part of the night um, just from an experience standpoint um, and it was it was a lot of relationship building um, ahead of time on site. Um, It was – I was lucky enough, the two other engineers on the tour were good friends of mine, and um, so I kind of know them and knew their style. Um, So when I was speccing PA and speccing consoles and the audio package, um, it was was really trying to find something that fits the bill for everybody. Um, And then, you know, when it comes down to tuning and how we deployed the PA – You know, we have quite different low-end requirements with the three artists, um, volume differences. So, you know, I think the final product turned out really, really beautiful.
0: Okay, so talk about that. So the volume difference thing, so Elevation, Casting Crowns, and Hillsong, was Elevation the loudest band? So uh, some nights, whenever I
2: really was feeling the PA, it was you know, we, we sat closer to hundred, but, um, you know, being in both seats, um, I had to be very conscious of the volume, yeah. um, of, you know, starting the night off and not wanting to ruin everyone's ears, but also staying true to what Elevation does. Yeah. And, you know, the experience that, you know, we want to present to people, um, watching. So, um, it, it ended up, you know, pretty normal actually like everyone kind of mixed between 96 and 100 okay you know nothing crazy loud nothing crazy quiet i've always um, wanted to
0: hear casting crowns at 100 db yeah it was awesome i bet the soccer moms no soccer grandmas even probably just loved it at 100 yeah dB. All, <laughs> all the front row people loved it that's awesome what was the pa you mentioned trying to pick something that worked for everybody
2: yeah so we uh we got lucky. We ended up with um, the new DMB GSL, and KSL um, everywhere. So um, we had GSLs on the mains, and then we had KSL on the sides and the 270 hangs, and then SL subs on the ground.
1: And what were the venues primarily? Um, we were in A-level arenas.
2: So we were in 10 to 13,000 seat rooms every night. Um, and we, we almost were a sellout. So we had two or three venues that we didn't sell out. But we saw about two hundred and five thousand people over the seventeen shows that is really cool
1: so for the last uh last month or so with lauren Daigle we've had g s l as well and that that's an incredible experience i mean yeah. it's 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 a it's a different deal just stepping on the gas with with that particular p a it's it's pretty stunning
2: yeah it was it was fun and it was cool to experience. Uh, a PA that's entirely cardioid, um, which was part of the reason we really tried to get KSL as the outs so that we could, you know, the entire PA is true cardioid. And, um, you know, we had one of the, one of the artists concerned about back pressure off the PA um, and we, it ended up great. You know, you still get some of that, but it's such, it's so much more clean behind the PA and it lets the monitor engineers, do their thing way more true to you know what they need to do versus dealing with the back pressure and the, the low frequency coming off the mains
0: yeah that's awesome so not to make it a DMB commercial but we just um mxu actually designed a pa for transformation church in tulsa and they bought this arena in town that's 130 feet from a neighborhood and that wall on the side of the building, it's not even, like, block. It's drywall and, like, aluminum, like a warehouse building material. It's not ideal at all. No. So (laughs) we chose um, KSL because of the cardioid and with the ray processing, how we could control everything. So uh, last week, week before Thanksgiving, I went out there when it went in to – be there for the end of the commissioning. And I hadn't even heard that PA before, which is kind of like you design a PA and never heard it. Well, yeah. it, it's KSL. And like, it's the only thing that does what that does. But I stood behind the PA and could not believe how quiet it was. Yeah. Like it's you, amazing. You hear companies say like, well, our speaker will do 137 DB or it's super cardio or whatever. And you're like, is this marketing BS or is it actually real? Oh my gosh, it's real. Yeah. It's pretty crazy, actually. Like, I heard slapbacks in the room I couldn't hear before from behind the PA because with the rental PA we had in there before, it was so loud, I couldn't hear anything. But now, because it's so quiet back there, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we have acoustic problems everywhere. Yeah, and it's
2: I think it's misunderstood a little bit, the cardioid thing. It's not dead quiet behind the PA. It's very controlled, and it is is quieter, but, um, you know, I think – From the bands and the artists and the monitor engineers, they all really loved the experience of being able to stand behind it and not not deal with this
1: overwhelming low end. Well, because you talked about back pressure, and in the same way that a cardioid microphone has at the 180 rejection point, there is some frequency information that's coming straight off the back of the mic that's similar to the way a cardioid PA will work. And so you just have to be careful about the way it's deployed... To be able to make sure that's not going in the wrong place. Um, yeah. So you're right. Yeah, it's not silent, but it is more manageable. I think.
2: And it helps too, like with some of the rooms we were in, with some of the reflections and the curved. You know, some of the rooms are round, so we're dealing with lots of reflections and, um, and so to be able to control that even more so um, was was really great. And it it was able we were able to get a really consistent. Um, coverage and consistent sound every night, uh, which was awesome.
0: Okay, so there's an elephant in the room we haven't talked about yet. And we started doing math, and Corey, you just showed your age. Yeah. You're 25. I'm 25. And you just production managed the biggest Christian tour in America of the year, and you're mixing for Elevation Worship.
1: What the heck have you done? <laughs> And by the way, when you told me that we met when you were 15, I I just kind of had to gulp a little bit because I was not 15 when we met.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like I know your background and I know your journey. You and I are really good friends. But talk about growing up at church, your dad is on staff at a church, he does production, and then that led you to Central, and then you ended up in Nashville. Kind of talk us through that.
2: Yeah. So I grew up a musician. I played drums, I played guitar, um, and loved it. Um, since I was three, I've been playing music and taking lessons and, um, you know, my, my parents tell funny stories of them walking in to a music store as a three-year-old and the teachers being like, we're not going to bother with him. And, um, but they, we convinced them and, you know, I took 10 years of lessons playing drums and, um, and ended up one day needing to mix. No one was there. And I was like, well, I'll try it, try it. And, uh, that was in, you know, elementary school really. <laughs> and, uh, fell I fell in love with it cause it, for me, it was a, it was a seat where I got to kind of do all the things that I love, which was, you know, drums and guitar. And I got to put all the pieces together. Um, and that's kind of where everything started, uh, From there, so I started mixing at a church in Vegas, um, in the main auditorium when I was twelve, and they let me behind a we had a Digico D1 and a big Meyer PA, and so I was spoiled growing up. But um, that's amazing. It was it was fun. I learned a lot, and uh, when I turned sixteen, I ended up going over to Central and started volunteering, and kind of led me through this path of. Joining part time and then ended up full time. And then uh, I ended up production managing for a couple years at Central, um, which was awesome. And, you know, that was a big learning. I was, I think I was 18 when I got hired there. And um, that was a huge learning experience um, for me. And uh, after my time at Central was done, you know, I really wanted to tour, I wanted to move to Nashville. Um, and ended up, actually, Aaron Padilla was the one that connected me first. Um, he connected me with the Jesus Culture people. Um, so I ended up starting. I mixed monitors with them for a couple years, uh, and moved to Nashville and started working with a couple other artists. Um, but Jesus Culture was really my my way in and through Aaron, and you know, I met Aaron with Uli at. Central, and uh, when y'all came with Lincoln, and um, so it's really that relationship that kind of started my touring career. Um, and uh, and then I worked for a couple different artists there, and once I moved to Nashville, um, and then I ended up working for Lauren Daigle for a couple years, um, and then now I'm with Elevation, um, which has been fun to kind of circle back. Because um, at the end of the day, elevations are their church um, and what they're doing at home um, is definitely like high, it's the highest thing on their priority list. So it's kind of fun to, to circle back around with a artist that I tour with, but I also get to be around the church and what they're doing and support those guys and um, help take what they're doing at home um, and kind of execute that out on the road.
0: Okay, so the first time I ever met you, I may have told this story before when you weren't a guest because it was awesome. I'm at Central. Drew brought me out there to help do something with audio, like whatever. And I'm at the console, maybe like an hour before service, and there's this young kid, 16 years old probably, on the lighting console. And he just got in-ears in, and he's just, you know – Typing away and making lots of noise on the loud keyboards. And <laughs> and then the service starts and there's no one on the lighting console anymore, and that kid is now on stage playing guitar. And I'm and I looked at the guy who was with me and I'm like, Is there no one on lights? And he goes, Oh, he's playing guitar. He programmed everything and printed it all to time code and he's firing loops on
1: stage also and it's running the console. And that was you. Yeah. <laughs> So for you guys who don't know Corey as well as we do, not only is he a musician and a front of house guy, but he's also a pretty darn good lighting designer, lighting programmer, <laughs> production designer. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I'm very confused in my yeah. in my career, but
2: it's I love I love doing it, and uh, so I've embraced it, and I just go for it.
1: You know, I think a lot. I think a lot of it goes back though, even to. What Daniel said on our last episode of here is somebody who, as a kid, was given an opportunity to just dig into something that you really loved, and it lit something up inside you that was yep. like, I'm, I've am i gotten bitten by this production bug, and whatever I can do to be a part of any of it, it's like, I want to learn it all, I want to be an expert in all of it, mm-hmm. and it's going to be the way I choose to spend my life, you know, and you've, you got that as a, as a little kid, Daniel got it at, as a 12 year old, you know, so there's this sort of theme of, gosh, somebody who's willing to give a kid an opportunity to just explore something that lights them up and you never know how it can change your life. It's awesome. Yeah.
2: Well, and that, a lot of that went back to, you know, when I was growing up, my, both my parents were on staff at a church and my dad helped run lights. And at the time it was, an analog lighting console with 96 faders and two scenes kind of what Daniel was talking about. And, you know, I was seven and eight just like mesmerized by technology and all, all of that, what they were doing. And, um, you know, I think I found my niche and, you know, realized, Hey, I kind of like doing all of it. And I kind of like being able to explore all of the different departments and the pieces that go together and, um, the pieces that, you know, create the final experience. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for all of it. Cause I get to have a little bit of insight into every little, every little world, um, you know, in, in the production experience.
0: What do you think it was that triggered you? I don't, know if that's the right word that caused you to learn so fast. Like what did you do at a young age to get so good, so fast at so many different things? Um, you know, a lot of it is,
2: was like passion and wanting to do everything really well. Um, it's kind of how I'm wired and when I do something, I go, go all in and, um, you know, I, I started when I was 15 and 16, I did, uh, I worked with an organization called CIY. Yep. Um, and they do these week long summer camps. And so during the summer um i they came to the church i was at and i met the production manager and you know i was 15 so you know there was not much i could do but they got me out and i mixed um on those for 3 weeks doing that every summer which was huge because it was kind of a you know it it forced me to learn because we were in different gyms every week we were in a theater one week you know we were essentially doing you know, a small version of touring. Um, and it, it gave me a really, you know, we had different bands, so it gave me a really good platform to, to learn, um, and try things and mess things up and, um, and taking all of that, you know, on, onto my career now, you know, I'm really grateful for all those times that I was able to mess
1: up and learn and never do it again. Uh, so that's cool and I have to assume that a lot of what you brought to the table is something that we've talked about a lot around here which is you were a musician first so yeah. you could approach a mix knowing what a good drum kit was supposed to sound like or what you wanted a guitar tone to be right because you had experience as a player of listening and crafting all that stuff since the time you were barely a toddler and you know you could bring that to bear on what you wanted this console to do so, You were able to use the tools to execute something that was musically already in your head.
2: Yeah, and it gave me a really great platform to, you know, build relationships with the the musicians Um, because I was, you know, a sixteen-year-old kid with all of these guys coming in to play, you know, and I can't, you know, as a sixteen-year-old, I can't go up to a thirty-year-old drummer and tell him his drum kit sounds bad, (laughs) you know. So it was. An early learning of how to talk to people and work together and, you know, in a way prove myself to them so that then we can move forward and and work on tones and um, how the drum kit's tuned and what mics we put on it.
1: That's so good. Because you could speak the same language. Right. Yeah. You weren't coming in like a know-it-all. You could actually kind of feather in some language that they would resonate with because you spoke the same language.
2: Yeah. And that's been, you know, the same thing applies even now with Elevation and those band guys. And, um, those are some of my really dear friends and we are all on the same team and we function that way. Um, and the mix, you know, the front of house mix is important to them just as much as it is to me. Um, so, you know, it's part in my approach, of how I come up on stage. But when I come up on stage, you know, there's a mutual respect there that I'm not hating on them and what they're doing, but Hey, let's, let's try this thing and do this differently or try this different tone. Um, because the big picture matters to both of us.
0: Okay, cool. Can we geek out on audio for a minute? Heck yeah. Okay. So, what are you doing on the console right now that's like new or fun or like trying something interesting? You're always trying cool stuff that I'm picking your brain about. So what's what's the latest? Um I'm doing a couple
2: you know, I love drums, so I spend a lot of time on the drum kit and nothing um, wrong with that. Yeah. So we fully support that. Yeah. <laughs> um one thing I'm doing that, you know. I think a couple, some people have looked at, they're like, oh, how does that work? Or how's that, you know, how does that come out the way it is? But um, And it's a little bit, Lee, I think you saw Pooch um, mix Jay-Z yeah. and talked about a parallel Tom bus that he was using. Um, and so I kind of started thinking about that. And, and this was kind of an accident. Um, I ended up putting, so I do a drum dry, and then a drum parallel with all the toms and kick and snare. Um, And then I've added a third parallel that's just the toms, and it's a compressor doing two or three dB. But I ended up torquing that parallel bus down 200 cents. Shut up. Or something. And so what I found is that it kind of gave me this like fake low end, almost. Yeah. But also left me the transient of the tom. So it's this it's a bust that I kind of feather in, you know, with Elevation's music, Toms are like king. Yep. Um th- during their albums, they usually have a guy just playing toms because it's a huge part of their music. So for me I was thinking, how do I add to the toms? How do I make the toms bigger? Um and so I, I started playing with this and I kind of feather it in on certain songs and it just deepens the
1: tom and and you're just using torque to detune. You're not actually re EQing the bus. You're just taking right. the original yep. tone and just detuning the toms as a group. Yep. That's yeah. Awesome. So it's 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 kind of a funny thing to listen to by
2: itself, but with all of it together, it kind of adds this fun little extra magic to the toms.
1: And but it's it gets, not all, it's not all the time, and it's not in every song. Right. It's just an yep. effect, really.
2: Yeah. It's some some of the big drum moments I'll add it in and.
0: Um, that's crazy. I would have never thought that the parallel bus could be tuned differently. I I'm sure it's wrong, but it sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's so funny. everyone that's listening that's going to try it, when you put it on Instagram, tag Corey so he yeah. can see how you're all doing it, so and can don't take the blame. Don't come no. at him with all this latency mumbo jumbo. So who yeah, cares? It's
2: probably going to be wrong, but if if it works, it's cool. Uh, What console are you using? So right now I'm on, uh, we're on Digico. Um, It's what they've got at the church. Um, And and so we're using it on the road. Um, Which surface? So we've kind of used everything um, from SD9s all the way up to SD5s. Um, We've done a couple tours with SD5s. And um, on this last run, we were on SD12s um, just for Footprint. You know, we wanted something small that didn't take up any room, um, which was my first time touring with the SD5 or
0: SD12. um, And I really enjoyed it. So question on the SD12. I like it, but I hate only having two fader banks at 12. Yeah. So how do you lay out the console? It was tough. It took me a long time to
2: figure it out because I'm the same way. I like three banks of faders. Right. um, And mentally I separate the console into three sections. So coming down to two is really interesting. It forced me to learn how to use multi inputs on Digico. Um, And then it just took me a second to, to think through my workflow and what I needed to get to and the stuff that needed to be on the surface all the time. So I ended up with all of my band on the left bank and I ended up with, I called it a show bank. So it was, just random inputs that I needed. So yeah. a kick multi, a snare multi, tom multi, overheads, you know, guitars, tracks, all that kind of stuff. And then the right side ended up being the four main vocals and then all my VCA's. Okay. And then I used the, the two master faders as my band and vocal VCA. Yeah. So I buried the master fader and yep. I used those as my... That way I could leave the right section as band VCA's and not get the two all mixed up. Where do you put your vocal effects beside the vocals? So I buried them, which I don't normally do, um, but I had a quick way to get to that bank. Um, But I also did a, a bit more automation than I would normally with all of the effects so that I just was left with you
0: know, a reverb VCA and okay. a tap delay VCA.
2: So I could kind of adjust those as needed.
1: That makes sense. Jeff, you've used that console a lot, haven't you? Yeah, so I've I've used it on Daegle, um this year, and I really okay. like it. Um, but the yeah, I, I kind of did similarly. All my band inputs were on the left, so I could just bank through, um, you know, individual instrument groups by bank. And then, you know, vocals were always kind of on the right side with some VCAs and effects returns and i i got used to it to the point where muscle memory just kind of takes over and it you know it's a bit awkward maybe to start once you're learning your workflow but then once it's established it's it's pretty it's pretty easy i like it for its you know like you said the small footprint truck space you know with the new software having 96 channels it's it's Pretty good bang for the buck. and Which
2: um, we were never able to use it before the 96 channel update came out. Um, And while we're talking about that, one other cool thing that I think I'm doing that I kind of figured out because I needed to figure out how to do something like this is we have four, sometimes up to six, worship leaders um, that that travel with us. Um, And they're all important. None of them are background singers, you know, yep. they all lead, uh, and so you know I was sitting there playing Vader Monkey, trying to catch up with all of the different vocal changes, and sometimes two to three people lead in one song, but I also didn't want to automate. I didn't want snapshots in the in between song or in the middle of a song. Yeah, I just wanted one to start start me off. Um, so one thing I'm doing is using. The macros with Digico, um, and I actually have a lead vocal group and a background vocal group, and the lead vocal group's up at Unity, and the background vocal is pulled back 10 dB. Um, And I use the macros to assign vocals to those groups, and those groups also are what feeds all of my vocal effects. So when Chris is assigned to the lead vocal group, he's now hitting all of my lead vocal effects. Yeah. And everyone else is in a BGV group, which is hitting just a reverb, a different reverb. And then I have quick access with the buttons to reassign who's going to what group, therefore assigning what effects are are taking
1: place. So for those four singers, do you have four macros named per singer, and you just hit whoever's leading? Yep. And then if somebody at the bridge takes over the lead, you just hit their button, yep. and now the delay goes off, the other one comes onto to this one, and the relative volume changes. Yep,
2: and That's that way pretty cool. I'm leaving all my vocals at unity, but depending on what they're assigned to, they're pulled back or pushed forward. Um, and so, you know, and that came from, I don't want to build, you know, 100 scenes. I want a scene per song. So that scene that snapshot sets me up and assigns who I need to start the song off with in those groups. And then from there, if someone jumps in and takes a verse, I'm just, I'm just hitting that button and it's reassigning them. And, um, and it's been really helpful to not have to think about what snapshot I'm in, what effects are assigned to what people, because I just know whoever's in those two groups is getting all of the right effects because it's a lot. You know, I have 10, I think I have eight or 10 lead vocal effects that I'm running. So trying to turn those all on and off with auxes became quite an issue.
0: So I wish every console had macros. Like Digica's are really the only one doing that. Yeah. that That I'm aware of. And also, am I the only guy that wishes there were 48 faders on consoles again? Nope. I totally agree. I mean, I love the. Flexibility and how much I/O we can have now, but like, bring us the faders back. Like, even if they were crammed together, you know. Like, I don't care. I just want more faders. <laughs> like, Avid has one now. I think yeah. the SXL has a forty-eight fader option. It's, it's massive. It's huge. Still smaller than an analog forty-eight fader. That's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> and smaller than the D show was
1: when it first came out. No kidding. That D show, you could park a <laughs> car between the faders. Yeah. So what you want is like an M7 form factor with all your faders, but, yeah. not, but not an M7. <laughs> really, we just right. need the PM1Ds back. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. a lot of, lot of faders and encoders, man. That's what we need.
0: Yeah, I don't like faders um, not all in the same plane either. I need them all together. <laughs> You're <laughs> like so the, picky. I know, sorry. The SSL, the L500, I don't like those 12 faders up on the top left. It's like, what are those for? So I'd rather have the 200 with all of them down at the bottom, but then you lose IO.
1: Anyway, I digress. That's funny. Well, that's a great conversation. And the great thing about this episode is that unlike some episodes where we have a guest and then we go on and do our own thing, we're going to keep Corey with us for the entire episode. So you're stuck as we change directions and talk about other stuff. So you get to be our sort of third host for this week. Love it. Love it. um, we're going to move on to what has become a favorite of a bunch of our listeners. It is time to turn down for MXU. Oh yeah.
0: It's been a while since we've done these. It feels like it has been a while. And this one's a little different because we actually only have one, but it came from the newspaper. So I think it's pretty reliable. (laughs) It came from multiple different sources. Yeah, that's right.
1: Um, Jeff, do you just want to read this thing? Sure. So I'm going to go first to um, the—this is from the uh, local news station in Orlando, Florida. Um, This is a very sort of generic version of the story. But um, the headline is, 222 noise complaints filed against Action Church in Winter Park. So if any of our listeners are here from Action Church— You can write in and let us know more details. But basically, since December of 2018, so in the last year, uh, more than 200 complaints have been filed for noise coming from Action Church, according to the Seminole County Sheriff's Office. So these people have not just complained to the church, but they've actually filed official complaints with the Sheriff's Office. Uh, 222 noise complaints have been filed, and the residents who live near the church said the music is too loud, especially the bass. So Action Church said it has lowered the volume, but residents say they can still hear it at different hours of the day, including very late at night, while the lead pastor said the church does not play music past 10 p.m. Now, for those of you who know Winter Park, Florida, I think that's the problem, is 10 p.m. is extremely late <laughs> <Yeah>. to some <laughs> residents of Winter Park, been, Florida. Been in bed for three hours These already. are people who eat dinner at 4.30 and go to bed right after Wheel of Fortune. So... Um, you know, I think there's an issue, but um, we don't really have many details from this uh, news outlet. They were just basically stating the facts. So, Lee, you found another article that has a little more detail. Um, yeah, it, I was looking for some quotes from the neighbors <laughs> well, that's the, always the good. The spell. photo, the photo is the biggest thing. The headline, you gotta, you gotta dig into that. Oh yeah, the
0: I have to go back to, to the preview. So uh when you google this story you'll you'll see this there's a neighbor standing on the corner with a what looks like a like you'd see it like a a protest sign or it's and a
1: sign like from college game day or something like yeah exactly and it <laughs> says
0: turn down the base turn up the love <laughs> uh maybe we, we'll post a picture of that so everyone can see it I think um, some people
1: would say, though, that the best way to turn up the love is to actually turn up the base. So I'm not sure how that jives with um, some people's perception of what love is in a mix. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, my, neighbor- have
0: you
2: opened this second article?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Go to the last line
2: of it, and I think it's worth reading because it kind of summarizes
1: everything that this article is. Oh, my goodness. Debbie Smith says... We will not be shouting or chanting. We will just be showing up quiet, support for those affected by the bass being generated by Action Church. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Another
0: neighbor says, the police come over here, and they go to the church, and they bring down the level of the music. 30 minutes later, when the police leave, they take it to another notch (laughs) at 10 p.m.
2: And I've been looking, and I found the The pastor says that the noise level can reach ninety decibels, which is That's very the, funny well, as we know from this.
1: as we know from a couple episodes ago, I mean anything above seventy four is considered to be extremely dangerous, so maybe maybe that prior noise complaint and these guys have gotten in cahoots and they're working together on how to change OSHA standards yeah. God forbid
2: the pastor sneezes. You know what else is in
0: Winter Park? Full Sail. (laughs) And Full Sail has live sound classes now. And they run those things 24 hours a day. Do you guys know they run classes 24-7 now? I did not know that. They have so many students that they run classes at
1: night. Like you may have a lab that goes through the night. I wonder if they're not actually listening to Action Church, but they're listening to Full Sail. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. I've seen some people come out of full sale that blow up subwoofers. I've seen people come out of full sale
0: that need to go to a church. So, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. We should not talk about full sale; they'll sue us.
1: No, we shouldn't.
0: We love, we love, <laughs> we, some we love of full of sale. Do. Yes, we yes,
1: we love their graphic design work. <laughs> oh my gosh, so random. So keep those complaints coming. Write them down. Take a photo. Take a screenshot of your bulletin. Whatever. We want to keep uh, keep up the complaints coming in to turn down for MXU.
0: Okay, so yesterday I posted on Instagram uh, to send in some questions. We've never done this before, so I thought it'd be fun to take some, some questions and we can answer. And, Corey, there's a couple in here I want you to answer. These
1: have been really good. I was... I was really surprised at the quality, just from an hour or so being on Instagram, how many good questions we got. It's fun. Okay, so this first one, um,
0: he's asking about Wi-Fi, and I think this is interesting. Like At some point, we should maybe have a production IT specialist and talk through some of this stuff, because we're all bad IT guys. I know I am, but we need to be better at it. So this question is, what kind of devices do y'all use to get your own Wi-Fi? So I think what he's asking is, what do you use to set up a production network? So like Corey, when you're touring, you're carrying a lot of stuff with you, I'm guessing. Yeah. How do you sort that out? Do you let Spectrum do all that or how's that work? So we, um, Spectrum's just
2: kind of changed their whole infrastructure over to fiber, okay. Um, which has been great. So the whole PA is actually driven over fiber, over Dante. Um, so um, with it being fiber, we're able to get lines from the stage or from front of house or vice versa. So um, we usually have the venue tie us in somewhere um, and that hits just a big network. And then um, at front of house, we have a pretty hefty router, Um, because we use tablets to tune. So he'll walk to the top of the the ball and and listen up there. Um, And he has a tablet VNC'd into the drive computer, so he can make changes and adjustments remotely.
0: I'm going to butcher this, but let me tell you what we did at the church. Jake Cody is really knowledgeable when it comes to networking. I'm not at all. So back off when I screw this up. So we had our local IT team, allocate us our own network off the main pipe that comes in. Turns out that 99% of the staff only use about 1% of the bandwidth needed and (laughs) the 1% production staff use the other 99%. So we have a very large pipe that's dedicated to us. And then um, all of the devices on our team, all of our laptops, computers in front of house, video, like everybody, they're all on the same production network. And then you can even have someone go in and dedicate this device needs priority, this one doesn't, and so on and so forth. So we have multiple networks like that. Some networks aren't tied into the internet. Some of them aren't because not every device needs to be on the internet. So that's basically how that goes. But um, I feel like we should at some point get an IT guy on here.
1: That'd be good because they could talk about a lot of other things too, like – wireless networking of microphones and packs and all that kind of stuff, too.
0: One time, I was at a bar in Vegas, and there was a guy mixing on a Mackie tablet, and it was unprotected, and I downloaded the Mackie app and mixed along with him. (laughs) It's amazing. It was, (laughs) uh, what's that?
1: That that might be my favorite thing ever. Commonwealth. That's the place.
0: Uh, Isn't that the name of that? The the one with the
1: speakeasy under the stairs? Yeah. Yep. Okay, Okay. so we got several around the same theme, which is um, one guy said, where do you start with a new volunteer who knows nothing? Another guy said, what's the first thing you should teach a volunteer who wants to run audio? Any tips on starting new people and getting uh, sound going? So um, what would you say, Corey, as somebody who started super young um, but has been around a lot of church teams? Like, other than making sure they have a subscription to mxu now um what is (laughs) what is like the the foundational groundwork first steps toward bringing along new people um i think
2: i think for me it's it's getting someone comfortable um at the console and then getting someone listening constantly um you know when i when I was growing up, I just I sat behind the engineer and I watched everything he touched and everything he did, and I and I listened for the things he was adjusting and I asked questions of, okay, why did you just change that EQ? And um, but there's also a little bit that I've I've noticed of people who are very like scared of the console, so when they first get started mixing, they're really hesitant of doing anything because they don't want to mess something up. Um, And so I think it's kind of a two part thing of, um, and I think Lee, you guys at Bayside do this really well of you guys have a twos who babysit the console during the message and run portions of it, but are not a hundred percent responsible for the mix over the weekend. Right. Um, But they're there and they're watching and they're learning and they're getting hands on the, on the console and turning MC mic's up, and as small and simple as that sounds, it's actually really significant because you're you're learning how to do that. And at the end of the day, when you're mixing the band, it's just a bunch of other microphones, just like that MC mic is. Right.
1: Just getting used to the fact that when you touch this fader, it's not going to break, and you're right. You know, you can push it this this far, this fast, this way, and it actually responds. And you know, just getting comfortable with the actual working of the console is is a huge. a huge point that's great well
2: and i think i think eqing a voice is really important too um there's this really funny system engineer that i've worked with over in germany a couple times and he tunes the pa with a 58 straight into the straight into the pa he makes funny noises and weird sounds but the final product is is really amazing um You know, and for in a world of pink noise and smart and music, for him to just have a microphone, um, it kind of reminds me that it's important to know how to EQ something as simple as a voice because it's kind of the foundation of everything else that we're doing. And it's training your ear to listen for frequencies rather than looking at frequencies and, you know, looking at how things should
0: look and, and feel. That's pretty gangster. You use a 58 and tune a stadium. Awesome. You we think about it, it's like, it's the most important thing they're going to hear. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty smart. Um, I would add a different angle to this in that if you think about the experience you're wanting to provide for the volunteer, like reverse engineer this. So the first thing we always think about is, okay, what do they need to do to learn how to r- hit the recorder turn on this computer. Like what if we think about onboarding the volunteer and what type of experience do we want to create for them? So if you were a volunteer, what would you want to be doing? Is the refrigerator stocked full of water and maybe some soda or some Gatorade? Is there coffee around or is there comfortable seating so that when we're all just standing backstage, we're not all just standing around like c- creating the environment that people want to come back to doesn't always involve gear It involves, are we creating spaces for people to be comfortable that they want to be here? Can they bring their kids around and stuff like that? So that's something I've encouraged our team like this Christmas, you know, we have a meeting like, Hey, is there anything different we want to do? Well, the tendency is to always go, well, what do we want to do technically different? But this year we went, no, what type of experience for our team are we going to do different? Let's not do anything new with gear. Like what we do is great and there's nothing wrong with it, but what can we provide on the experience side for the people that we can change.
1: That's really good. Make it a place yeah. that they want to come back to to serve. It's like, hey, this is fun to be around. These guys care about me. The experience is cool. Okay, now what can I learn? Yep. Th- that's really cool. All right, so because we have Corey, and because we're entering into unchartered territory for us, we actually got a couple of questions related to lighting, and I wanted to get Corey's take on this.
0: <laughs> so yeah. there, were,
1: there were two different ones. One... Any, any quick tips on lighting without moving heads or haze? So how do you make a non-moving uh, head rig look good? And then any tips for workflows for lighting when it's on the fly? Um, so I'll
2: touch on the moving head thing because I think we're entering a, a new era. And myself and some dear friends, and we're all sick of moving lights. I hate beams. I hate I I'm I'm on this kick. I hate moving lights. I hate beams. I hate gobos. And so yes, um, and I'm not saying that moving lights are bad. Uh, are the rigs that I design still have an upwards of of a hundred, sometimes two hundred moving lights? Um, but bragger, I think the, <laughs> I think the way that you're we're using them and the creative approach that people are taking, um a liking to is is less movement less in your face less beams um and so you know we really focus on where the fixtures are placed what they're aimed at um you know where I do a lot of backlighting on the musicians and you can really get some really beautiful looks just with backlighting everybody on stage you know and it's it's no longer about the cool you know, audience look that gets photographed. It's about the way it looks on camera now. It's about the way it looks on a picture, um, you know, seeing everybody, feeling everybody. Um, and haze is, that's a, you know, haze is tricky. Cause I think haze is, you know, it's the reverb to the lighting rig. Um, it's like the extra little magic that, that helps give it some, some feeling. Um, but Uh, you know, I think focus on where the lights are and what they're hitting and color. Um, color is really important and simple color is really important.
0: And then the next question was tips on, uh, setting up a console to program on the fly. Yeah, we, um, it's, it's,
2: it's hard. Uh, I think it's a lot of thinking ahead. It's a lot of thinking of what the music needs and what you're going to need to be able to do. Um, so we do a couple different positions, a couple different color palettes. Um, one thing that I've stolen from Daniel Canell is a fader that just simply makes the lights white. Um, so as a song builds, you can push that fader up, and and it brightens up the entire rig, um, you know. And then having a couple, you know, really great effects that you can easily reach with speed, you know, adjustments. So you can slow stuff down, speed it up depending on whatever the song is needing.
1: That's great. So there's a couple questions that have to do with a topic that we've touched on a lot before, but I wanted to get your take on it, Corey. Um, Just advice for a person who's mixing when their band on stage is less experienced or maybe less skilled as they would ideally need to be to pull off an amazing version of whatever X worship band would do, um, whether it has to do with just they've reached their capacity and where they are and they need to practice more, or whether it's they just don't care, or they're just not experienced. Like, how do you deal with, or what advice would you give to somebody who's dealing with a band that is giving them all they've got, but they're just not that great? Uh, I think the first
2: thing that comes to my mind is just grace. I think, you know, the reality is, is that we all want to do something at a certain level, but there is a journey that you have to take to get there. And I think everyone's done that. Every great, huge worship artist, every church band has has gone through that journey. And so I think that people are in different stages of that journey to get to that place where they're crushing it. Um, and I think it's, I think for me, it's learning grace and understanding where you're at currently and walking through that with everyone. Um, and if you have advice to give and if you have, you know, things to input to do that with grace, with your band as a group of people moving towards a goal. Um, and I think the worst thing you can do is walk up on stage, guns a blazing to people who don't quite get it, who are going to look at you like, well, that guy was really mean. And he just yelled about a bunch of stuff, but here we still are in the same spot. Um, and I think it's really diving into specifics and, you know, taking the little things and working on them and then moving into the bigger things and kind of doing it one at a time instead of walking up and throwing up all of the things that
0: everyone's doing wrong. So that's not,
2: It's not helpful. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. you're saying one thing I was thinking about is you got to go slow and be okay with going slow also. oh yeah. Uh, Someone told me, hey, you can paint the walls of your church pink as long as you do it one square foot at a time per week. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, just go slow and be okay with this process being a lot slower than you want it to be.
1: Well, I think some of it might start with simple things like, gosh, you may not be able to increase the skill of your ability as a guitar player but you can make sure your guitar is in tune yeah you know so let's start with things that are easier to control you know you might not be playing the solo that leads out of the bridge into the next chorus but man we can sure make sure that those root position chords are in tune so that's good baby steps it's awesome Corey. thanks so much for being here with us yeah,
2: of course. Thanks for having me,
1: man. This has been a blast. I I, I know that we'll have you back, and I hope you'll uh, endure us and come back because I think there's so much that you have to bring to a conversation like this that is worth continuing to have and continuing to share. So, thanks for being here. Yeah. Well, you've done it. You've wasted another hour listening to us, but thank you again for tuning in. For all of you who enjoy our podcast, um, I, I hope that you're getting something from it that's helpful. Um, We wanted to remind you of a couple things coming up. We've got our next MXU Live event in Anaheim, January 15th. We still have tickets available, and we can't wait to see it. We're about six weeks away, and we have some special surprises in store. Lee and I are going to be joined by Robert Scoville and Pooch Van Druten, and it's going to be an all-day, four-way conversation about how we can all get better, and we can't wait
0: awesome and last week jeff and i were in vegas shooting new content for mxu now pretty excited about that we shot a ton of videos on mic placement how to mic a drum kit how to tune a drum kit um some great stuff that you've all been asking for we're super stoked about and adam taylor was on some videos so we got some new faces Corey, i think you should be on some uh, lighting videos next year with daniel yeah that'd be awesome
1: i think that will be great well can't wait to see you guys on the social medias and out and about as we're doing our thing. So thanks again for tuning in. Corey, thanks again for being here. We will talk to you soon. Everybody have a great day and we'll see you soon. Bye.